You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We've been in a series called Life's Healing Choices, and we've been through four steps in this series uh, really so far, four different beatitudes, four different attitudes that you and I should have that help us walk and get over our hurts and habits and hangups. It's really the path of healing, and today we're going to be in the fifth of those choices. And so I'm going to ask you to take out your outline and uh, grab a pen from the seat back in front of you. And we're going to do some uh, just following along. We're going to interact a little bit with it. But uh, we've been walking through this uh, series for five weeks. And they're really the way of finding freedom. How do you find freedom from your hurts, your habits, and your hangups? This is really the way. Matthew 5 verse 6 says this. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we like that picture. We like the idea of we're hungry and we eat a meal that satisfies us. We like that feeling of being satisfied. We're thirsty and we take something that we drink and it satisfies us. We like that picture quite a bit. And we just uh, have this idea of that's what it means to be hungry or thirsty and be filled or be satisfied by what you drank. But there's two types of hunger. There's two types of thirst. And one is a physical hunger, like I just described. You might be thinking of your barbecue tomorrow. You might be thinking of what you're going to do later on. That's the physical side. But there's also a spiritual side to hunger. There's a spiritual side to thirsting. And that's what we're going to focus on and talk about today. Because we're going to look at the spiritual hunger that really is Uh, We've got a hunger inside our hearts that we would like to be who God would say that we are. And we want also for uh, God would like to see changes in us that allow us to be who he describes us to be in our new identity. I want to take you through the real life events of Jacob. Uh, We obviously will have been in Matthew. We'll be there a little bit today. But I also want you to flip back in your Bible or on your smartphone if you have it to Genesis chapter 31. And we're also going to look at chapter 32 uh, here together today. I want to look at the real-life events of Jacob. And a lot of times people look at the Old Testament events in people's lives, and they say, well, maybe those were stories that were, like, somehow made up. And that's actually not true. That's actually not the case. And they're actual real-life events in real-life people. Uh, They're not stories that are made up by, like, uh, you know, an author that they're actual fiction. They're not nonfiction. And so uh, they – or did I have it the other way around? Thank you. But they actually, they're just real life stories. And Jacob, uh, we want to look at his real life events because the path he walked through is really the path to healing. It's really the first five steps that you and I have looked at today. They're the road to healing, the road to growth, the path to recovery, the path to becoming all of who God wants you to be and who deep down in your heart you hunger, you thirst to be. So we're going to look at five different phases that God uses in this process to change us. And the first phase, if you're taking notes today, is conflict. It's conflict. And Jacob's entire life can be summed up in one word, conflict. His whole life, it's all he's known. It always starts with conflict. It always starts in your struggle with other people. Did you know that God uses your struggles with other people to get your attention? See, a lot of times I used to think, well, stress would come up or there'd be a relational problem, and I would think, you're a jerk, or it's their problem. And God comes along and goes, no, no, I'm starting to use relational conflict as an opportunity for you to to get your attention, Dave, because I want to do some things. I want to change you. 
Um, but the first phase is conflict. If you're going to go through any kind of relational conflict right now, it's because God wants to change you. And if you're experiencing relational conflict right now, as you think of your life, your home life, your extended family, you think of work, you think of maybe a sports team you're playing on, you think of any relational conflict you're having right now, it's because God wants to get your attention. Congratulations. God is trying to change you. He wants you to come along and uh, it realizes that change always starts with conflict. Maybe you've re related to this. You've been comfortable. Maybe you've been comfortable in your workplace. You've been comfortable in your life. You kind of just said, hey, I feel like I've arrived a little bit, and I'm going to sit back and be comfortable. God always comforts people who are afflicted. It's part of his nature. But God also loves us too much to leave us where we are. So what he says is, I'm going to allow conflict to get your attention because I want you to grow. So God comforts the afflicted, but God also afflicts the comfortable for our benefit so that we grow. It always starts with conflict. And Jacob's life can be summed up in one word. It's conflict. From his very birth, he was experiencing conflict. He was an identical twin. And as he came out of the womb, he was the second born. But as he came out, he was hanging on. He was like, came out like this. Woohoo! He was hanging on to the heel of his brother Esau. Okay, so from the very beginning, from the very beginning of his life, he's in conflict. It's like he's trying to pull that heel and be like, I don't want to come out first. And he's trying to pull him down, and, and maybe, I don't know whether it was a joke or they cracked up at this experience. Here we had twins, and one was holding on to the ankle of another, but they named Jacob manipulator, deceiver, or liar. Like one who's trying to struggle, one who's in conflict, one who's trying to get ahead. And they gave him that name at the very beginning. And then later in his life, he's at odds. He's such a different, he's kind of a mama's boy, and Esau is a manly man, hunter kind of guy. Well, Jacob is smart. Jacob manipulates, and so his brother's really hungry. He comes in, he makes a triple dog dare with him. He basically says, I will give you this bowl of soup if you give me the right of the firstborn, the extra inheritance that the firstborn son would get. If you trade that for me, I'll give you this great meal that I've whipped up in, in the kitchen. And his brother takes him up on that deal, trades away his inheritance, and they had been at odds with each other their whole life. And so basically, they have been estranged. They went different directions. They lived in different places. They got in fights in a unique way. Conflict sums up Jacob's life. As you've studied the life of Jacob, here's one thing he does. He always runs from conflict. How many of you in here, it's not fun for you unless there's a fight? Come on, be honest. You like to mix it up a little bit, like to have a little argument, a little fight. Okay, how many of you in here would say you don't like conflict? How many of you would rather run, be honest, run from conflict? Yeah, we want to get away. We're like, God, please help me. Please help this conflict go away. We want to get beyond conflict. Well, that was Jacob. Jacob didn't like conflict. He didn't like being relationally at odds with other people. And so he would run from it. He basically said, you know, I'm, I'm not a manly man like my brother. I'm not like the warrior type. I'm the more, hey, run away so that you can live with yourself in your own conflict another day, right? That was kind of his way of going about it. He would run from conflict. And he had conflict with his brother. He had conflict with his wife. He had conflict with his father-in-law. He had conflict with his brothers-in-law. Everything about it was conflict, including conflict with God. He has conflict everywhere. The common denominator, anywhere he goes, anywhere he runs, is himself. He has conflict. Why? Because God is trying to get Jacob's attention. 
We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 31 and 32, and Jacob's between a rock and a hard place. He's got two conflicts going on. First of all, he has worked for his, well, he worked for an employer who eventually became his father-in-law. He ended up marrying one of uh, the daughters, and when he got married, the father-in-law-to-be put uh, the veil over a different daughter than Jacob intended to marry. He deceived Jacob, so the deceiver got deceived. And so he put a different veil over a different daughter. Jacob had worked seven years for this guy to marry his daughter. And when the veil came off, lo and behold, it's not the girl he thought he was marrying, it's her sister. Okay? So the father-in-law comes along and goes, I'll make a better deal with you. You work seven more years, and then I'll let you marry the girl that you really want to. And Jacob must have been really, really, really in love because shame on him, he did it again. And so, so he does it again, and so he goes another seven years, and he eventually does marry the girl of his dreams. And now he is like, you know what? I don't trust my father-in-law. He's gotten me before. He'll probably get me again. He's at odds with his father-in-law. And so basically, um, there's conflict there. There's bad blood between Laban, the father-in-law, and Jacob. He's fighting him. He's also fighting his brother, who he's never forgiven. They've been estranged uh, for stealing his inheritance. In Genesis 31, verse 1 says this, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob's taken everything that our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Now, you got to realize what was happening here is God said to Jacob, I will bless you. And Jacob, as a herdsman, was going along, and it was like all the, the, the animals that were born, they made a deal of a certain number of spots, or if it's certain this way, then the spotted ones will be mine, the, the pure ones will be yours. And then God just blessed whichever side of that deal Jacob was on. So it didn't matter how many you know, offspring the animals had, the majority of them started going to Jacob. And the brother-in-laws are going, listen. This guy is profiting off our dad. He's like, in a sense, stealing our inheritance like he stole his brother's inheritance. So he's got this conflict going around all around, and you just notice that the attitude isn't what it had been. You ever been there? Maybe your working relationship was great. It was just a super time, and then all of a sudden some stuff started happening in here, and you realize maybe your boss, their attitude against you isn't what it's been. Maybe you live in somebody's house, and, and you've been, you know, roommates, and, and you've been there, and all of a sudden, boy, the attitude just isn't what it has been. You begin to get uncomfortable. There begins to maybe be conflict. You begin to notice that something's not right here, and that's where, where Jacob was. He's right in the middle, and so what does he do? He decides to run from conflict. Well, he decides, I'm going to leave quietly. But you got to realize at this point, he's got two wives. He's got 11 kids. He's got all these herds of animals, sheep and goats. He's got servants who tend those things. And he's like, okay, we're going to get out of here. So in the middle of the night, they, like, they try to sneak away. You can't sneak away quietly. When you got this big, you know, kind of army of, you know, family and, and animals and all sorts of things. So they, they try to get away. Well, Laban gets really upset and pursues him. And among the reason that Laban pursues him is one of the reasons many of you will understand this is he took the grandkids. I mean, some of you understand that. Like, seriously, you're going to move? I understand you want to get ahead. I understand you want a promotion. I understand you want to relocate somewhere else, but don't take the grandkids. Like, you can go, but leave the grandkids here, right? You don't want, and some of you have moved away. You're like, I know it was like going to be so hard on my mom or my dad because we're taking the grandkids, right? That was one of the reasons that Laban was at odd with him because he had taken the grandkids. So Laban starts after, after him for several reasons, several things he would like 
to get back. And they come into conflict, and they basically draw a line in the sand. And Laban's like, honestly, from like this point, that way is mine. That point, this way, you go ahead, you go on your way. And they basically were at odds. There was conflict behind him. But now there's also conflict in front of him because he's like, now where am I going to run? The only place I can go back to is where Esau is, my brother, who I stole his inheritance. When I got here originally, I just had a staff. Now I've got all this stuff, and he's the warrior. He, I am in fear of him. But he's the only region, the only place, the only land that I can run to. And so he begins to walk in that direction. So what does he do? He begins to say, well, how can I appease my brother? Well, maybe if I send him a bunch of gifts, then I'll soften him up and he'll let me come be in the area. So he begins to do that. He gets his servants and he gets all these gifts. He begins to basically like give back a bunch of the inheritance. Here's some wealth. If I keep giving you all this stuff, then maybe you'll be okay with me. And he sends the servants, hey, take the stuff, go approach my brother Esau. So he does that, and it's interesting because he basically, the servants come back after giving all these gifts to Esau, and he goes, hey, how did it go? And I'm trying to like avoid conflict here, right? How did it go? How did my peace offering go? And here's what it says in Genesis 32, verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Okay? It's time for a butt kicking is what he's thinking, right? It is just, it's time for a reckoning. And so he is realizing, I am in deep trouble. This guy's got basically an army. I've got a bunch of kind of servants and, and some flocks, and I've got two wives and a bunch of kids, but I, I don't have anything, and my peace offering didn't seem to work. It says in the scripture that Jacob was terrified at the news. Jacob, his entire life, he's run from conflict from his family. He can't run it anymore. That's stage one. If you and I are in stage one, we are in conflict relationally with other people. And that means God is trying to get your attention. Well, what does Jacob do? He's afraid. He's desperate. He prays. Verse 9 of chapter 32, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps of people. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, this was the Abrahamic covenant, you have said, I will make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted." So he's basically saying, God, you made this promise to me and my descendants, and I don't know how it's going to work out. Because right now i got conflict behind me, and right ahead of me I'm about to get whooped. And so, God, I have nowhere else to turn. I am uncomfortable. I'm so uncomfortable, God, in conflict that I began to turn to you. That's where Jacob is. And let me tell you for yourself, you and your life, those problems you're facing right now, that trouble that you feel like you're in, that conflict... God is trying to get your attention because until you get to that stage in life, nothing's going to change. It's that first stage, right? The reality choice that I admit that I am powerless to control the ten my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. That's that first phase where he is, the reality choice. And when you come to God like Jacob, you say, God, you know, I do not deserve this. I don't deserve this, God. I'm a cheat. I've run from conflict my whole life, but God, I've got to have your help. I have nowhere else to turn. I'm basically going under for the last time. And that's where Jacob is at. 
He's at conflict. That's the starting point. Nothing happens in your life until you get out of that denial and realize, I cannot solve it on my own. I cannot make it right. I've got to get to another step. That is the point where you and I are in the conflict stage. Basically, Jacob decides, I'm going to stop denying. I'm going to say it like I am. I'm a cheat. I'm a liar. I've run from conflict my whole life. I hate it. But right now, I have nowhere else to turn. I've got to stop running. I've got to admit that I have a need. Now, he's got basically 400 people coming this way. He's got families estranged from him from behind. So what does he do? He sends his family across the river. So he basically divides them, though, in two groups. Here's his thinking. Let's make two camps. If my brother and the 400 men come and attack one of the groups, I'll still have the other group. Now, I don't know how he decided who went in what group. Like, hey, Leah, that one that I, you know, married first that I got deceived on. You go with camp one, but Rachel, who I really like, you stay with camp. I don't know how that, you know, all work. You could read the scriptures there. And I would encourage you this week, maybe read Genesis 31 and 32 and just let that story speak to your, you and your problems and your experiences. But he, I don't know how he divided the groups, but he goes through and he divides these two groups thinking, if some get attacked, then maybe... I'll still have something left over. And so he sends them all across the river. They have this river crossing. They all get over there, and he says, you know what? I just need some alone time, so I'm going to stay on this side of the river. Those two camps, you're on that side of the river as we're on our journey, and I'm going to spend the night here by myself. So here he is all alone. He's running from conflict. He's probably tired of all the questions and how are we going to get there and what's going to happen when we get there. He's like, I just need to be alone. Sends everybody across the river. He thinks that it's fine. I'll have a conflict-free night. And some dude comes along and he begins to get in a fight. He starts fighting some random guy. So this guy comes along and he gets in a wrestling match with this person. In fact, it's an unusual wrestling match because the scriptures identify very clearly. He gets in a wrestling match with God. God says, all right, Jacob, I got you alone. Let's go to the mat. Let's do this. If you can relate to being in conflict, God sometimes moves us from conflict to the second step, which is moves us to crisis. Crisis is not just conflict. Crisis is conflict with God. See, it comes to the point where we're in relational conflict with somebody else, but God says, that's great. I'm getting your attention, but now I'm going to show you that the real issue is you are in conflict with me. You're in crisis. You are in conflict with me. And so that's where Jacob finds himself. Genesis 32, verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, this is a long wrestling match. They start going at it. They wrestle all night long. Have you ever wrestled with God all night long? Your eyes are wide open. You're trying to think and resolve your problems. You're trying to control it. You're trying to handle it on your own. You're negotiating with God. God, if you get me out of this, then this. And you're just, you're going back and forth. And you are in conflict with God. You're wrestling with him all night long. And even in the morning, if you like woke up and tried to like, hey, I try to think of all the things I thought last night and see if that's a good game plan. You'd say, what was I thinking? That's ridiculous. Because you weren't even thinking straight. You were tired in the middle of the night. But all night long, he is wrestling with God. He couldn't sleep. His mind's just going and going. Maybe that's you. Well, Jacob's biggest conflict is not with his brother. It's not with his father-in-law. It's not with his wife. It's not with the brothers-in-law. It's not with anything else. His biggest struggle is really with God, which, by the way, 
is your biggest struggle too. Our biggest struggle is really at times with the Lord. And God will use conflict to get our attention. God says, all right, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. We're going to have it out. We're going to wrestle right here. God shows up in human form and has a wrestling match with Jacob. And God doesn't mind having a wrestling match with you and me. God's okay with that. He, he's like, let's go. That's okay. God would rather have you be at odds with him saying, God, I don't like this right now. I don't know why you haven't bailed me out. God, I'm sick and tired of this. He'd rather you be engaging with him in wrestling and conflict than be apathetic and be like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to control my own life. God wants a wrestling match. He likes wrestling. The nature of wrestling is that it's up close. It's personal. It's a contact sport. And God's saying, come on, let's go. Contact me. Let's engage us. Let's have this out. Let's get beyond all the symptoms and let's get to the real conflict. The real conflict, Jacob, your whole life is that you, Jacob, are at odds with me. He wants to be personal. He wants to be up close with you. He'd rather have you close and angry at him than far away and apathetic. God is okay wrestling with you. And you say, well, David, come on. How do we know that this guy who's wrestling him is really God? I mean, how do we not? I mean, he's all by himself. How do we know that this is, you know, really him? It's not just, you know, he sent his family all across the river, and they're over there in two camps. He's over here by himself. He's down by the river. How do we not know that this is some motivational speaker who's living in a van down by the river, right? Just shows up to wrestle him at night. Well, the scripture is clear, even in Hosea and other places, Hosea 12.3 says, In the womb, speaking of Jacob, he grasped his brother's heel. And as a man, he struggled with God. You know the problem that you're having right now? The relational conflict that you're in? It's not really your ex-husband. It's not really your ex-wife. It's not really your boss. It's not really your brother, your sister. It's not really your family members. It's not really the other people that are in your life. Those are the symptoms. The real issue is your and my struggle with God. That's really it. Who's going to be God in your life? Are you going to allow God to be God in your life? Or are you going to be God in your life? And the question is, am I going to let God be God in my life? And the truth is, am I going to obey? Am I going to follow what this book says in my life? Am I going to give God's words, God's words claim on my life? That's the real struggle we get in. We want to control our lives. We want to take control of it all. Your real struggle is that you're wrestling with God. It's not anybody else. And that's why you got to move from phase one, which is conflict with other people, to phase two, which is crisis, which is conflict with God. You've got to realize it and admit it to yourself. So what happens? You know, your biggest struggle is when things don't go your way, Right? They don't go your way, and so what happens? Especially if you're a man, something doesn't go your way, and then what happens? You overreact. Oh, and maybe it was modeled for you, and what you're basically saying is, this is not happening fast enough. It's not happening the way I would do it. It's not happening how it's supposed to go. Things that should be permanent are not permanent, and so we, we overreact. We blow up. It's like our way of saying, hey, everybody, I want you to know that you didn't do it my way. And so we get all out of sorts. We get all, you know, expressive and we kind of blow up and let everybody know how they should have done it. And, you know, and we could berate one another and we go all out, but it didn't work on my time frame. It didn't happen how I would do it. And it's, it's like we fuss. We just have this overreaction to tell people, I don't like this. Why? 
The real struggle is we want to be God. We want to control. We want to get through. You and I, we're control freaks. We are. It's the very nature. We've got to realize that and admit that to ourselves. So often we are in a wrestling match with God. We don't want to obey him. And some people think that, you know, they're like, God, I, I, I don't like what you've done here. I got to reach ahead and I got to grab your ankle, God, and I'm going to pull myself ahead of you. And I can't tell you the number of people who just, you know, they're like, I just, I just have to get married. I just got to get married. And they end up marrying into greater difficulty because they ran ahead of God. They grabbed his ankle and they pulled him back. And they ran ahead of him. God, I'm going to do it my way. This is the only person who likes me. This is the only man who's asked me out. And maybe I know that person's not a believer, but I'm going to just go ahead and grab your ankle. I'm going to pull you back. I'm going to run it. And now you're at odds, even spiritually, at conflict. Can't tell you the number of people who are like, I got to make more money. I've just got to, to provide for my family and to put enough away for the future. And of course, we don't know how long our days are, but we just think, I got to do this, this, this. And so we, we're like, I've got to make more money, so I've got to relocate my family, or I've got to take a promotion. And you end up taking a promotion or relocating away from your support network. You end up relocating into a place that's not as good a fit. What happens? We grab God's ankle. and like, God, you get back here. I'm going to take care of my needs. And then we get in that situation. We go, God, I don't like this. It didn't work out. Why? Because we're trying to be God in our lives. The question is this. I want you to think of the problem that you're facing right now. The conflict that you're in right now. Two questions. One, will I obey God and do the right thing even if it doesn't make sense? Oh, I totally should be doing this. I tell you, it seems like this is the most sensible thing. Are you going to obey God's way of doing it? Are you going to take control? Secondly, will I trust God to take care of the situation? Will I trust God to take care of the situation? Notice the order of those two questions. Will I obey and then will I trust? What do we want to do? God, give me a bunch of trust because that will make me courageous enough to obey, right? God, you do a bunch of things my way, then I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll do it. Then I'll obey. And God's going, uh-uh, obey that I'm God, and I'm going to build up a trust track record in your life, not based on your performance, but based on your surrender that you know that I'm God. God says, let's wrestle. Let's have it out. Come on, let's go. This is the real issue. Let's get to it. Let me start peeling that onion back one layer at a time. You didn't get into the situation you're in right now by making one bad choice. You got in the situation you're in right now by making a lot of bad choices. And so let's go to the mat. Let's start peeling those layers back. Let's wrestle. Let's get honest with each other. Let's have it out. Let's see who's really in charge here. And the whole purpose of wrestling, if you've ever done wrestling, the whole purpose of wrestling is to pin your opponent. So they got to tap out. So they basically got to say, uncle, or I quit, you know, right? I give up. And that's the whole point of wrestling. And God loves to wrestle with you because God is waiting for you to say, listen, I give up. Because until you and I say, I give up, no change is ever going to happen. Crisis is that second step. It's a choice where you and I have to give up. God loves you where you are right now, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to cause change in your life. So he's going to wrestle with you. And he's going to cause the relational conflict you're having with other people to get your attention so that you come and wrestle with the real issue with him. That's what God does. 
is because God loves you. And that prepares us then for the hope choice. The hope choice is I earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, that he has the power to help me change. But we never get to this point until the pain of our current experience exceeds our pain of the fear of change. See, what happens is we're going to stay just like we are until we're uncomfortable. So until we're in so much pain in our conflict where God's getting our attention right now and we're wrestling with him and the heat's getting turned up, we're not actually going to change until the pain of where we are right now makes us say, okay, I give up, I give in, I uncle out, you know, I'm tapping out, God, I tap out, so that now it's going to be your way because where I am right now is too painful. When that pain happens in your current experience, then you're willing to exceed the fear that you have of change. And you're willing to go through what it takes to change. And so that's what happens to Jacob. He gets to the third phase, which is commitment. And that says, okay, God, I'm serious about this. I'll hang on and I'll hold on and I won't give up. I'm going to stay in this wrestling match with you, even if it kills me. I'm going to do it your way, God. I want your blessing in my life. And we find this in Genesis 32, 26. Then the man, being God, said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see what's happening here? All this fight is going on. And finally, God's like, hey, let me go, let me go. And Jacob's like, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's saying, God, I'm so desperate. I'm in such pain right now. I've been running my whole life. I am not, you're my only hope. I will not let you go. I need you to do in my life what only you can do. There's a desperation to his prayer. God loves passionate praying. God, I'm not letting you go until you help me. That's the commitment choice, that I consciously choose to commit all my life and all my will to Christ's care and control. I choose Christ. I'm all in. And he's hanging on, and he's all in with God in this moment. Notice in the verse, he says this. Uh, God says, let me go. It is daybreak. I want you on your notes or uh, in your Bible to circle the word daybreak. I want you to circle that. They've been wrestling for hours. This ain't been going on all night. God could instantly have trumped him like that, right? He's God. He could have ended the wrestling match, but God's content. He's like, let's go. Let's go all night if it takes it. Let's go on and on and on. I will wrestle you at your point. And we think, well, God, why wouldn't you just step in and fix him? Why wouldn't you just help the guy out? And we asked God the same question. God, why wouldn't you just step in and fix me? I've got these hurts. I've got these habits. I have these hangups. Why wouldn't you come in and just fix me? You could snap your fingers like that and do it. Why wouldn't you do it? Why is there always a struggle? Why do my prayers at times have a delay before they're answered? God, why didn't this work necessarily the first time? God could do it, but he wrestles him. Why? God wants to know if you're really serious. There's a difference between a whim and being deadly serious. If you have little toddlers, you can understand this. If they say, Mommy or Daddy, I want this, and you go, No, not right now, and they're like, Okay, and they walk away, that, that's a whim. They kind of floated it once, and they're all good. If they beg all the time, please, give me, give me, I need, you know, and there's every time. That is a desire, right or wrong. That's a desire, right? God wants to find out if you're really serious. How many times have, have people just prayed a prayer one time and said, oh, well, I prayed about it. And then they just gave in. God doesn't answer whims. God wants to know that you're serious about it. If you don't care and you're praying about it just once, it's probably a whim. But if you pray about it again and again, if you really mean business, God wants to see that. But there's a second reason that I think there's a delay. Because the real struggle is that 
we're asking the question, am I God or are you God? And God is not a vending machine. If we could just pray for it and God gave us whatever we want right in the instant, what would we think? We would think, I'm controlling him. I'm God. God's not a vending machine. Vending machines give us bad stuff, sugar or caffeine or things that make us unhealthy, right? It's not what God is. It's not his whole idea. It's not the way he works. God's not a vending machine where you put in a prayer and you get out an answer. God doesn't serve you. You and I, we serve God. He is the exalted one. So if you're serious about wanting God to change your life, you've got to hang on and pray to God and say, I need your intervention. I need your help. I'm not letting go until you bless my life. See, most people give up before they, before they outlast it and hang on too long. They just give up while it's still too early. They give up too soon. They don't make it. They say, God, you just help me in my, in my marriage. And then they go, oh, well, I prayed for that, and I'm going to just proceed with my divorce proceedings. I was already en route on anyway. And they give up too soon. So many people at times will just say, basically, you know, God, I'm just going to give up on my job. And they just give up on that too soon. They give up on a relationship. They give up on a dream. They give up on a change. And they give up too soon. God teaches us to endure and to hang on and let him do what we cannot do for ourselves. God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to people, even in a marriage, who have gone through something like an affair and just said, listen, for the next year, you don't make any choices. What are you talking about? This person cheated on me. This, you know, everyone gives their side. Of, uh-uh, for a year. And a year seems like an eternity. But what could happen in the conflict if each person gets serious about the conflict they're having with each other is really the conflict they're having with God and they begin to wrestle with God over a year and they begin to get honest with each other and come back together, God can do more than we ask or imagine. But what happens, we just give up sometimes too soon. And God wants to say, are you really serious? So that leads us to the breakthrough step, which is phase four, and that's confession. I openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Genesis chapter 32 says this, uh, verse 27, the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. See, God basically asked in that moment, he says, I'm not going to let go till you bless me. He goes, okay, tell me your name. What's your name? Deceiver, liar, manipulator. Oh, your name's Jacob? See, God wants Jacob to admit to himself who he's been and what his role is in the part. And then God gives him a new name. You'll be Israel. Why? Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Could you imagine if your biggest character flaw was your name, how embarrassing would that be, right? You meet people and you're like, hi, I'm broken. I'm a manipulator. I'm a liar. I'm prideful. I'm gossip. You know, I'm a worrier. I'm an addict. I won't control my temper. I'm a victim. You know, and you introduce yourself to people. Hi, I'm bitter. <laughs> right? My name's all about me. You know, or my name is I get tempted or I lust and that's my name. You know, my name's gossip. My name is angry temper. Nice to meet you. Right? Wouldn't that be awful? But kind of in the Old Testament, the way people's names worked showed a lot about their character and what their future character would be. But God says this. It's interesting. In the New Testament, God says, Jacob, have I loved? 
And if God could say that about Jacob, the liar, the manipulator, the deceiver, then maybe he could love someone like me too. I love that verse. Will you watch this video? Uh, I grew up in Valley Springs. Uh, my parents were Catholic and I was raised Catholic uh, until around age 12 when I decided I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. My parents were not happy about it and uh, as a child they were very abusive, uh, physically abusive and I didn't feel like that was something that had God in it and so I decided that's not for me and I ran away when I was 16. I was spent most of that time alone. I was camping in the woods in a tent for almost two years straight, kind of figuring out what I would do in my life now that I'm gone. When I ran away, I wasn't sure if there was a God or not, and I almost, I felt a lot of resentment towards God because I felt like I had been cheated in life and that I didn't deserve to be loved for some reason that I didn't know of. I eventually gave up. I tried to kill myself. I turned to a lot of drugs and spent a lot of years on drugs because I couldn't handle emotions and I felt like there really was no purpose in life. And without purpose, I felt no reason to live. But there came a time when I was on drugs and with my fiance at the time that I OD'd and she did as well. And I came out of a seizure and she was still in seizures and I somehow just instantly sobered up. I don't know how besides God having his hand on my shoulder and I spent hours trying to hold her head and force my hand down her throat to try and get her to throw up or get her adrenaline pumping to kind of keep her body working and after hours had gone by uh, she eventually just fell asleep and when she woke up uh, you know we went through uh, quite a few days of withdrawal at that moment is when I decided I can't live my life this way anymore. I'm going to kill the person that I love or someone else that I love. I dropped everything I did in my life. I stopped cold turkey right there. I dropped all my friends that I was with. I realized that all of that was not good for me at all. and I had to do something to change my life. Unfortunately, we ended up not seeing eye to eye and I moved out and left and spent a lot more time alone. But I made one friend that helped me kind of get myself back on my feet. And then I met two amazing people, the first Christian friends I ever had. And they offered me within the first two weeks of knowing them for me to leave the town that I lived in at the time and move down here to Elk Grove and restart my life and fix my life. At first I was really afraid because I couldn't understand how someone could just want to give me such a chance after knowing what I was or what I was doing in my life, but they wanted to help me. It really struck something in me that I couldn't really fathom, like how do you care so much about me when no one else has ever cared about me and you don't even know me? And my friend, one of them, he has a, a very severe medical condition and he spends a lot of time in the hospital uh, back and forth. And he's never lost his faith in any way. And he feels that God has a purpose for what he's going through to help someone out in some way. Or, you know, I was speaking to his mom in the hospital and she wanted to know a little bit about my life. And I was talking to her and she said, well, what do you know about Jesus? 
and I said honestly nothing I only know of you know things that have happened in my life and I just kind of hated him for it and I wasn't sure what to think of it and she kind of explained a little bit to me and gave me my friend's Bible to read while he was in there and told me to read John and while we were in there she asked if I would pray with her and asked for Jesus to come into my heart and I did and I was just so tired of giving up I went home and started reading John and when I found out just that love and that was something that I never knew that Jesus had and my parents had never told me or no one else had ever told me that he loved us so much I eventually started looking back at my entire life and everything that had happened with me ODing and me running away and God wanted me to go through those hardships because he was waiting for my heart to change and the feeling that I get when I sit there or I pray to him or I think about everything he's done to me it's a feeling that I've never felt from anything and everything I tried to run from he makes it so much easier he's given me that purpose in life and meaning a reason to want to be alive again because everything he's done in my life I can now try to glorify him and thank him in some way for everything he did for me without me ever even knowing. Until your pain in your current situation exceeds your fear of change, you'll stay where you're at. God would bring Richard to a place where he was ready to change, where he got hit rock bottom where he had nowhere else to turn but to cling to Jesus. And God does what he does in phase five, and that's called conversion. Phase five is conversion. Conversion means I get a new identity. Conversion means I get a new identity. When God does his deepest work in you, he does it in your identity. Remember, we looked at that series, Identity, Formation, Community, Mission, and he comes along even when we get confused and think our community is our identity or what we do is our identity. God says, uh-uh, time out. I'm going to bring you back to the identity that I've given you, not the one that the world has given you. I'm going to bring you back to a healthy identity that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. God's going to bring you and I back to identity because he loves us. Jacob meant deceiver, liar, manipulator. And God says in that moment, I need you to fess up to who you are. Now I'm going to give you a new name, Israel. Israel means prince of God. It means overcomer. You struggle with people, you struggle with God. Isn't that the story of Israel? Both as a nation, as a people group, and this man, but an overcomer. And that's true in this situation as we see. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That desire you have in your side, inside you to be right, to do things right, to do better, to change, to get better, that's God's desire. He's putting you, you're hungering, you're thirsting for righteousness. He's saying, but in Christ, you will be filled. But you got to get that point where you're willing to go through a conversion, to go through a transformation step. And that's what the last step that we'll talk about today is it's voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life. I humbly ask him to remove my character defects. You know, thank God I am not who I used to be. And thank God that I'm not who I'm going to be, that he's still at work in me and still working to change me. And thank God that you're not who you used to be. And thank God that you're not arrived. You're not who he's going to make you to be. But continue to work with him. Struggle. Wrestle it out. Realize that your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, 
and the dark forces of this world, that there is a spiritual battle that goes on between you wanting to be God, God being God, and him wanting to free you from the things that trap you because of your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups that we commit to God. God gives you a new name, but he also gives you a reminder. So what does he do? He touched Jacob's hip, his kind of thigh hip area, and it dislocated or did whatever it did, but all we know is that Jacob left the battle, the wrestling with God, with a limp. The whole rest of his life, he had a limp. Well, why did God give him that? He gave him a reminder. All until this point, Jacob has relied on his own abilities, his own strength. He needs a reminder. The greatest people that God has ever used all have a limp. You don't want to be under a pastor who's never suffered through some things in life, who's never gone through some things that wound pride, that wound a person, that make tough experiences happen. Tough experiences always happen to good people because you don't become good people without tough experiences. And so God will give you and I a limp. He will walk us through that. There's no more running from our conflict or problems. We're not going to run anymore. Jacob, you're not going to run. You're going to limp. And the limp is going to be a reminder that it's not by your power, but that you engage the conflict, and it's by my power that you are healed. So he touched him, and basically God's saying, listen, we're going to wrestle, but you're going to realize that you're not going to rely anymore on your cuteness or your cleverness or your lies or your manipulation or your ability to talk yourself out of a situation or your heritage or your background or your title. You're not going to rely on that stuff anymore. You're going to rely on me and my power. There may be an emotional limp. There may be a mental limp. There may be a physical limp or a relational limp, but God's going to use something in your life that you're going to give him glory by sharing with others. Some of you, you don't share your limp. You don't share your weakness with your community group. You don't share it with anybody else, with any other person. And the reason is because you're still trying to hide it. You're not being real with yourself or with anybody else. And God's saying, let's wrestle it out. And I'm going to give you a reminder that it's my strength that frees you. It's a transformation choice to voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. But it all starts with submitting your life to him with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. We just take a moment not to disturb anyone else, but think about the condition of your life. If today you realize I have never given my life to Jesus, I've never been like Richard and come to the point where I go, God, I've got to give you me and I didn't realize you've been the one pursuing me. You've been the one allowing conflict so that I fight out the real ultimate battle with you. If today you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ to experience forgiveness and a new identity and cleansing from all your sin, then you simply pray a prayer like this after me. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you took my sin upon yourself and you paid for it in full. God, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Give me a new identity. God, I cling to you right now. I won't let go because I want you to bless me. God, I give me to you. Today, I'm saying yes to you. If you just prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart like that, would you just raise your hand up right where you're at? Anywhere around the room, just hold it up high. Right there on the end, that's awesome. If you got your hand up, will you just look up at me? If you got your hand up, hold it just kind of high because we got some people like to give you some information. If you'd like it, you can hold your hand up right here on the end. We got some uh, ushers coming down this way. We've got one on this aisle on the end. Angel right there, awesome. 
Uh, one more all the way on the end over on this side. Good job holding your hand up. By the way, it took a person standing on stage and holding their hand, me holding my hand up to realize the decision I was making for Jesus. Eric on the uh, to your right as well. Eric right behind to your left. Right there you go. Oh, we'll just wave at him. So he, there you go. He ran out of stuff. Awesome. Anywhere else around the room, you just hold your hand up to one of these addresses. You wave at them. Awesome. God, we're so grateful for what you're doing. Let me ask you, believers, did you walk phase four? Did you share with somebody the hurt, the habit, the hang up in your life? Did you openly admit to yourself and God and someone else this last week? And if not, why? And would you walk through stage four so that you can get to stage five, the transformation choice? God, we love what you're doing among us. We praise you. We thank you that you're the one who reaches to all of us, to the very least of these. We give you honor. Thank you for what you're doing here at Sun Grove Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you give it up for what God is doing right here among us? It's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.